If you would, please take a copy of God's Word and turn to, excuse me, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 18 through 33 this morning. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 33. And as a reminder, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can flip to the inside cover of the bulletin, find that passage there. You can also grab the, the red ones are hymnals, the black ones are pew Bibles, and page 978, you'll find, <clears throat> find the beginning of the passage. Ephesians 5, again, verses 18 through 33. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades. Word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing now as we consider his word. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask you for light. It's a bright and sunny morning this morning. And Father, as much as it is shining outside, we pray that you would shine into our hearts with the truth of your word. Help it to expose our sin. Help us to see our sin. But we pray as well, help us to see our great Savior who shines in all his glory. We pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Do you love your wife as much as Christ loves his church? Then you, like me, still have room to grow as a husband. And you can. You can do better laying down your life, because Christ has done that for you. But this is not a try-harder sermon. hope you understand what I mean. By God's grace, I, I do hope you'll try harder to love your wife or your husband or your brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever the case might be, but the message here is not try harder. The message is that Christ has loved you better, more deeply, more sacrificially than you can possibly imagine. And so Christ calls us to imitate his love. In short, because Christ loved you and gave himself for you, you can love and respect and serve one another. 
And you might notice this is not simply a message for husbands and wives, is it? No, no. Verses 18 through 21 that we read, as well as all of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, it's addressed to the whole church, is it not? All of us need to know this. Because Christ loved you and gave himself for you, you can love and respect and serve one another. You can. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect tomorrow. But for every look at yourself and your imperfections, take 10 looks at Christ. 10 looks at Christ, at his beauty, at his wisdom, at his holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, at his love, his sacrifice, his obedience. He was like us in every way, yet without sin, at his fullness. Take 10 looks at Christ, as Robert Murray McShane once said. And no, we don't have 10 points today. Some of you know I've been known to do that. Not this morning. Maybe soon. Four points this morning about submission, sacrifice, and the great mystery of marriage in the gospel. We begin here, first point, the universal submission that Christ requires. Universal submission that Christ requires, verses 18 through 21. We covered those verses two weeks ago. Let's review and discover something new. Verses 18 and 19 say, pardon me, and do not get drunk with wine, For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Remember verse 1 of this chapter, it starts, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 18 seems to be one way we imitate God. We don't get drunk. Leads to, as we said, diminished inhibitions, lack of self-control. In the words of John Stott, makes us more like wild animals. No, we fill ourselves not with wine or other drugs, but with the Holy Spirit, dressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When we're filled with the Spirit, we are more human, more like humans were meant to be, more like Christ, in whose image we are made and remade. And that results in several things when we're filled with the Spirit. It says we will sing, we will submit, we will give thanks, all of these words. It's a result of being filled with the Spirit. And what what kind of songs do we sing when that happens? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, we don't have time to detail each one of them, but notice it includes psalms, it includes hymns, and something else. I had a professor who loved to say, I believe in inclusive psalmody, not exclusive psalmody. He, he included the psalms and other songs, right? It was variety. I think as I look at my Bible here, it seems like there was variety even in the first century. Now, I suspect that Paul, like all of us, may have had his favorite songs. Nothing wrong with that, Right? But when you talk about your favorites and maybe your not-so-favorites, I would hope that we would all remember his encouragement to speak the truth in love if you feel the need to speak about those things at all. But singing, it's the result of being filled with the Spirit. What else results from the filling of the Spirit? Thanksgiving, always and for everything, it says in verse 20. Pray that that would be true of us as well. Certainly can't hurt. And what else results? Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think it's helpful to see this word submit before we start talking about husbands and wives. We can talk about its meaning without 
cultural baggage, without family baggage, which may or may not be good. Christ wants us all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some of us have decades between us in age, right? And yet Christ wants us to submit to one another. What does that mean? Technically, the word submit, it means support or help. It doesn't imply weakness. Much of what I'm about to say, what I am saying right now, comes from my premarital counseling notes. Uh, just so you know, I doubt that most of these notes and insights are my own, borrowed from three or four sources. Unfortunately, my footnotes aren't all that great, but I'm sure credit goes to somebody else. Nonetheless, submission, it's support, help, not weakness. It implies strength given to someone else, what you might even call meekness, a strength under control. One source says submission is, quote, giving up one's own will and agenda for the life or the benefit of another person. Very practically, submission is putting someone else's needs and goals above my own. And don't we have to do that all the time? At times, we all have to do this. And it may be very simple, right? I'm already running a little late, but it's snowy, and I need to help this person get into their car because it's icy, because they left their snow brush thingy, you know, at home. And so I can spare two more minutes. Or maybe much bigger, right? much more demanding, much more inconvenient. Sometimes that's exactly what love requires, isn't it? And hasn't Christ loved you in exactly that way? Wasn't it demanding? Wasn't his sacrifice inconvenient? And isn't verse 21 calling us to do just that? Why do we submit? What does it say in verse 21? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence, a, a holy fear, an awe-filled respect for the greatness of our Savior, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Reverence for Christ, that's why we submit. Because Christ loved us, that's why we can love and serve one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And interestingly, as I was looking at other uses for submit other verses to understand this word, I, I stumbled upon this verse about Christ submitting. So we talk about reverence for Christ. It might be fitting to read Luke 2, 51. And he went down with them, that's his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Some of you know that this, this is 12-year-old Jesus who got lost after Passover, but wasn't really lost, right? He was, he was in the temple. He had to be in his father's house about his father's business, and we aren't talking about carpentry. Verse 50 says his parents didn't understand what he was saying to them. I must be about my father's business. What do you mean? <laughs> they knew, and they didn't know. Right? I mean, you've, you've read the, Mar the Magnificat before. Mary knew something magnificent was happening. And they didn't understand. And yet Jesus went home and he submitted to them, his parents. They weren't as smart as him. They weren't as holy as him. And Jesus submitted to his parents. And when the Holy Spirit of Jesus fills up, we will do the same. I'm not asking you to submit to somebody else because they're perfect. Scripture's saying, do it out of reverence for Christ. 
who obeyed in all the ways that we have failed. He didn't have sinless parents, but he submitted to them. Of course, he never followed his parents into sin. You shouldn't either. But if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you will want to submit to the family of God when you can. Do you want to? Do you want to submit? Do you want to love your brothers and sisters in this way? Because even if you don't, Christ loved you that way, did he not? It's the universal submission that Christ requires, that reverence for Christ requires. And now from the universal to the unique, the particular. Our second point is this, the unique submission that shows respect. The unique submission that shows respect. Verses 22 to 24 as well as 33. Look at verse 22 with me. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. My job is a series of awkward conversations. Sometimes I get to tell all the wives in the church to submit to their husbands. Even though I don't know if their husbands are good and godly men or not. Maybe their husbands are godly and they, they gladly submit. Praise the Lord for that. Maybe their husbands are not as spiritually mature as them. Maybe their father wasn't a very good example in this regard. Maybe there are other complications beyond those. Can't know all of those circumstances. And yet it doesn't change the words of Holy Scripture written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Interesting, those final few words there, don't miss those, right? As to the Lord. Because Christ the Lord loved you, you can love and submit and serve one another. Wives, you can serve an imperfect husband. And that's good news because every husband in this room is an imperfect husband. Some better than others maybe, right? But all imperfect nonetheless and all placed in their position within their marriage by God's design. Verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Husband, ramp it down just a bit. If you're saying, see, I'm your savior, uh, maybe in some sense of the word, you're to serve your wife. We're gonna talk about that later. Also, this word head, head, does that, does, that, does that mean head? Does that mean in charge? Yes, but as I'll remind our husbands later, one author says a true leader is not anxious to assert that he is in charge more often than not. His leadership is unobtrusive and gentle. Uh, so does that mean I don't have to listen to my husband when I think he's wrong? Didn't say that. What about this word head? I, I, there's an article out there. It, maybe it, that word means source. Maybe that undercuts this argument that husbands are the head of their wives and their leaders. I believe Wayne Grudem wrote a really long article for the Evangelical Theological Society a generation ago that basically said, no, if you dig down deep into all the Greek research, this word means head. Christ has placed imperfect husbands as the head of their household. And wives are called to submit. What do we say about that word earlier? What's it mean? Support, help, not weakness. Strength given to someone else. You might say meekness. You might say strength under control. Giving up one's own will, one's agenda for the life and benefit of another person, putting someone else's needs and goals above your own. It's a lot. Women, you might say, does that mean that women don't have a voice 
We just have to sit there and be quiet and didn't say that. Some may fear that. Some may have heard that in some circles before. Instead, I'd ask you to hear this from one author. I think this is helpful. A wife's goal is not mere compliance, but empowerment. She may challenge, disagree with, or rebuke her husband, but she does this best when she does it in a way that supports him and encourages him. Supports him and encourages him, empowers him. You notice how the passage ends. Skipping down to verse 33, it says, Husbands, love your wives. Well, more on that soon, I promise. And let the wife see that she respects her husband, respects the same fear and reverence word that's used in verse 21. Ladies, your husband does want to be loved, yes. And God does call you to love him. But in addition to your love, he greatly desires your respect. Why do the words, I'm proud of you, mean so much to a husband? I don't know, but I know they do. Praise the Lord, I hear them often, whether I deserve them or not. There's a scene in a certain Tom Cruise movie. I'm not recommending it. I would never do that, of course, but he overhears his future wife telling her sister that she loves him. And he's, he, she's never said it to him, you see. And she doesn't know that he can overhear, but she just gushes. I love him. I love him for the man he wants to be, and I love him for the man he almost is. I love him. I love him. Ladies, I hope you love your husbands like that. Regardless of how good he is, he is not yet the man that God wants him to be, and maybe not the man that he wants to be. But the chances of him becoming the man he is called to be are so much better if you will love him for the man he almost is. And you can do it because Christ has loved you that way, the way that the ultimate husband should. That's the unique submission that shows respect, that helps empower a husband to be all that he can be. And that leads to our third point, the loving sacrifice that sanctifies another. The loving sacrifice that sanctifies another. Verses 25 through 30. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yep, got it, good, all right, nailed that one. Husbands, if that's how you react, we might need to have a conversation. But husbands, you see, this... This is the man you want to be. Not, not Tom Cruise, Christ. This is the man you want to be. Christ, the one who loved the church and gave himself up for her. Interestingly, right, in earthly terms, Christ was never married. Yes, the Bible has many marriage metaphors associated with Jesus. We'll cover one in a minute. But Christ wasn't married. And yet, he is the model for all of us married men and all of us who will be married. Verse 25 doesn't show us the man we are, the man in the mirror, regardless of how good we are, regardless of how good our wives might think we are. You know, some of us have it very good. We have wives who are great at building us up, almost as good at overlooking our faults. If that's true for you, then make sure you thank her. But again, we know that we are not what we should be as husbands. Christ is not calling us to dwell on our imperfections here. He, he doesn't really do that. 
As if self-flagellation is somehow spiritual or salvific or something like that. No. What do we say? For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because in a sense, that's what this passage does. It doesn't dwell on our pet sins as husbands. No, verses 25 through 27, it first dwells on how Christ loves the church, doesn't it? Let's look at it, this chunk together. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And it continues to focus on Christ that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. One of the great joys of being the bride, so I hear, is to pull out all the stops, hair, nails, makeup, you name it, the dress, looking your best for your husband. But Christ's bride is different, right? Because she cannot cleanse herself, cover her own blemishes, right? The church's bridegroom must lay down his life to accomplish all of that. Now, husbands, the analogy is going to break down a little bit here at some point, but I pray you don't get lost in, in details and say, wait a minute, how am I? Focus on what's clear. Love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, ready to love, ready to sacrifice. Why? So that your wife might be sanctified, might be more holy. Does that mean you should lead her in your family and devotions even when you're tired. It at least means that and more. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. This is hard. <clears throat> Of course it is. Why? How? Is it hard to figure out what Paul means? I don't actually think so. I think it's much harder to focus daily and ask your heavenly father, how are you calling me to love my wife sacrificially today? What do I need to do today? The consistent focus to not let up, to not say, I'm going to make today about me. Everybody's been a little grumpy today. I'm just going to be selfish. I think that's the hard part. I think if we're intentional about trying to love our wife, then we'll figure out the details over time. And Lord willing, her love and respect for us will also cover over a multitude of our sins. Men, you've got a job. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. And you can do it because Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. And yes, I know it says the church, but, but if you're in Christ, you're part of that church. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul says it the same thing much more directly. He loved me and he gave himself for me. You, you've got a job to lead by loving and it may be thankless at times. The world may hate you for even trying to lead. They may say that your loving leadership is toxic, almost enough to make you want to give up. Stop trying, right? But God himself has called you to this job of loving, self-sacrificial leadership. 
And you can do it, not simply because he called you, but because he loved you and even better, even more, he loved you even more than you love your own wife. And I do wonder if we as husbands strive to do this well, if we get it at least 51% right, (laughs) with more than 51% effort, with more than 51% repentance when we fail, then I bet our wives would submit to us more willingly, more lovingly, more respectfully. You're called to love her even if she's slow to love you back, but ideally, a marriage is a mutual admiration society, a mutual edification society. Is it not something that points beyond itself? And that leads to our final point briefly. After the loving sacrifice that sanctifies another, we see fourthly and finally the great mystery that displays the gospel. The great mystery that displays the gospel in verses 31 to 33. You see those words, great mystery, or it might say profound or something like that in verse 32. But notice also the logic, the lead up, the context here. Verse 28, love your wife as your own body. Verse 29, no one hates his body. He nourishes, cherishes it like Christ does the church. Verse 30, we're members of his Body, and it's not the last body metaphor here. Verse 31, quoting Genesis 2:24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, one body, if you will. Now, John Calvin clarifies helpfully: marriage, leaving and cleaving, leaving and holding fast does not mean that we neglect all the other family roles. We're still called to honor father and mother, help your spouse do the same, among other roles. But he says it's a question of degree. When you're married, you regard marriage as more sacred than all other ties because you're one flesh. Now, of course, that has something to say about the physical relationship between husband and wife. We've talked about that before. We're not afraid to talk about that in this setting. But Paul says in verse 32 that sexual intimacy is not the main point here. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. The mystery is mega, it says in Greek. It's great. It's profound. Marriage is a picture of something bigger. It's a picture of the gospel, of Christ's good news, of his love for his people, his church, And we live in our marriages out of that. We're empowered by that. And that's why he says in verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Husbands, you won't love perfectly. But when you do it well, you will show your wife and anyone else who notices a glimmer of Christ's love for his church. Sacrificial love, undeserved love, wives, You won't submit, you won't respect perfectly, but when you do it well, you will show your husband the trust that he needs to be a little bit better leader. And you will show anyone who notices a glimmer of the love, the respect that we should have for Christ, our leader, our champion, our sacrificial high priest. Singles, children, this is what you want. This is either the man you want or the man you want to be, the woman you want or the woman you want to be, someone who believes in something bigger than themselves, someone 
who sacrifices themselves, who focuses on the love, the respect that the other one needs. And if you don't find it as quickly as you want, don't lower your, don't lower your standard, not for a minute. Don't look for the quick fix. Whether that quick fix is a man or woman who doesn't meet this standard, a picture on the internet or something else that gives you instant gratification, don't look for the quick fix. And don't look inward, beating yourself up as if that will help. Even if you want to be more like the men and women that I've described, don't only look inward. Don't stay there, don't dwell there. What have I said? For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. It is beauty, it is wisdom, it is holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It is love, it is sacrifice, it is obedience, it is fullness. And then talk to him. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him you will not settle until he gives you someone who wants to be a more Christ-like version of themselves and wants to help you do the same. Tell him waiting is hard sometimes and that you will not rest until Christ completes you. Hear that word, until Christ completes you. Your husband does not complete you. Neither does your wife. Not Tom Cruise, not Travis Kelsey or his famous girlfriend. Colossians 2.10, God makes us complete in Christ. He is our daily bread. He is our portion. Therefore, we will hope in him. Times of plenty and times of want. Because one day we will have perfect love, perfect intimacy, perfect contentment, because we will have the perfect partner who gives us all that we need and more. And in fact, we have him now. If we can see the great mystery that he's revealing to us, if we can see how he loved us and gave himself for us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good. And what you do is good. You've shown us your goodness in the cross and your son. You did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. How will you not also with him richly give us all things? Oh, Father, meet us and our weak faith and help us to taste and see that you are good. We ask it all in Jesus' great name. Amen.